you have your Bible or your smartphone, we're going to be in Genesis 1, so you shouldn't, shouldn't have to turn that far into it. Um, we're going to be at, at verse, we're going to start at verse 24, so we'll read that here in a second. How many of you guys are struggling a little bit because of the time change last night? Yeah? Yeah? I woke up this morning, I was like, oh man, no. <laughs> Jesus, please, help me. Um, the spring forward, the fall back is great. It's always that spring forward that just gets you. Um, so a few years ago, uh, I started reading a book. It's probably like seven years ago. Um, it's a book called Blue Like Jazz. How many of you have heard, heard of that book, read that book? Okay. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, it probably helped shape a lot of uh, who I am. Um, you know, it's probably like the Bible and then like Love Does and Blue Like Jazz. Like those three books have really helped shape kind of how I approach God, who I am. And, uh, and in that book, it's by Donald Miller. It's a, it's a New York Times bestseller, so I obviously it comes highly recommended. But I remember there's a part in the book where Donald Miller, he, he lives, uh, he had moved from Texas and he moved up to uh, Portland, Oregon, and he's living on this like hippie commune. And uh, it's, it's really interesting. But at one point he starts going to this church and he had come, gone to like a Southern Baptist church when he lived in Texas. And he found this church that had been planted um, by Mars Hill, and uh, the name of the church was Imago Day. okay? And I remember hearing that name, and for, for me, somebody who grew up in churches, and especially through the 80s and 90s and the 2000s, um, what you name something was really important. So I don't know how many of you have been a part of that naming process, like weird named Life Journey Church, right? But, but when I was in high school, I was part of Cutting Edge Youth. And then it became the lift. And then sometimes it's like there's elevate young adult ministry or there's the uprising or there's like we always try to name something cool to try and make it to, or like to distinguish ourselves. Right. And there's like our mother, Mary, Guadalupe, you know, church, Redeemer, Presbyterian. Like there are all these different names. And so when I heard the name Imago Dei, I was like, that's a cool name. I, li- I don't even know what it means. It's just different. Like I don't it doesn't feel like a bad motivational poster. Right. So I thought that was kind of cool. And And so I was like, but what does that mean? And I started looking up what Imago Dei meant. So how many, have any of you ever heard that term before? Who's heard it? Okay, a few of you, a few, okay. So Imago Dei. So so what we're going to do is we're going to read Genesis, and we're going to pinpoint where this comes from, and then we're going to talk about what the Imago Dei is. So um, this this is what Genesis 1 says, starting in verse 24. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. It says, and God said, let, there, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, 
I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has, breath of, that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Interesting fact, as God goes through each day, at the end of every day it says, God saw it and it was good, God saw it and it was good. It wasn't until God made the creatures and made man that he said, hmm, this is very good, right? Interesting little, that, that one's free. So, um, Okay, so that, in verse 27 it says, um, he made man in his own image. Um, imago Dei is Latin. And it literally means image of God. And, and so it's, it's a Latin phrase, and it's taken from this scripture. There are two other places in Genesis where it references man as being made in God's image. And, and that's in Genesis 5 and in Genesis 9. And uh, I believe it's in 9 where he's talking about, or no, I think it's 5, Cain and Abel. When um, Cain kills Abel and he said, you spilled the blood of man and who's made in the image of God. Um, so, so Imago Dei, that's what the term means, but it's more than just a quote from the passage. Imago Dei, for hundreds, probably um, since the early church, has been a concept, um, a doctrinal concept. So when I say doctrine, what doctrine is, is it's basically a, a firm theological and philosophical belief that is founded on something in Scripture. So we have doctrine, the doctrine of common grace. We have the doctrine of, um, you know, the doctrine of original sin. So these are these are concepts that we pull from Scripture, and, and this doctrine, Imago Dei, is a doctrine. Uh, so it means more than just that quote. And so, as we approach it today, uh, I'll, I'll approach it with this story. So, so growing up. Uh, we had a dog named Reggie, right? Reggie was like a mini Lassie. Like, I don't know what kind of dog Lassie was. I know it was like really fuzzy and had like long hair. Um, but Reggie was like a smaller, I was also like seven at the time, so it could have been a lot smaller. Anyways, it's a smaller version of Lassie. He was brown, had like white and stuff like that. Um, great dog. If you If you... Uh, if you ask my parents to this day, if you mention Reggie, my mom goes, he was such a good dog, right? Doesn't she? Every time. So we loved that dog. And that dog, uh, we had that dog until I was almost seven. And my parents, um, growing up, we grew up in the, we were, my dad was in the Army, so we moved around a lot. And I remember there was a point where we were moving from um, Washington State near Seattle, and we were moving to Maryland. So we had to move cross country, and my parents were trying to figure out how we were going to make that transition. Were we going to fly? Were we going to ship everything? Were we going to drive in a big truck? Um, and, and I remember as they were going through those discussions, um, I think Ashley, my sister, was only like a year or two old. And we were at my grandmother's house, and my dad came home, and I was like, hey, where's Reggie? And they had to put Reggie down. And, and so in the decision-making process, they you know, they figured we couldn't afford to have a dog anymore. You know, when you're an E4 or an E5 in the military, you don't make a whole lot of money. 
especially if you have a family of four. And bringing the dog across country with us was going to be really difficult on the dog. And this wasn't, this was before the internet. So we didn't have Facebook pages where you could like, hey, adopt my dog. Like it wasn't that simple. Um, and so I remember like my whole family was crying because, you know, dog's dead. Sucks. But in that decision-making process, my, my parents sat down and they decided, okay, we have to cut someone loose from this family in order to move forward. Um, why did they decide to cut Reggie loose instead of my sister? <laughs> or why did they decide to cut Reggie loose instead of me? Because I'm more expensive than a dog to take care of, and I take more attention, right? So it's not a rhetorical question. Like, really, why, why, do they, why would they choose me over the dog? I look like that. Say it again. Because I'm more valuable. That's the answer. People are more valuable than dogs, right? There are some people in this world that don't think that, but they're crazy, okay? Like, they, they, their mind is being seared by sin. We need to help them and pray for them because people are more valuable than dogs. People are more valuable than cats, right? Amen. <laughs> Definitely the cat right? Um, people are more valuable. We just read it in the word. Here's, here's what I have that a dog doesn't have. I'm made in the image of God. God formed me in his likeness. He did not form the dog in his likeness. He did not give the dog dominion over the earth. He gave me and you dominion over the earth, and he made us in his likeness. We are the image of God. You and I are worth more than the other created things, okay? So we're going to talk about the Imago Dei. We're going to talk about how it relates to three different areas of life, okay? The first one's this, and, and I know you have a blank sheet of paper, but we have notes, and this is the first point. The Imago Dei shapes our relationship with other created things, the Imago Dei shapes our relationship with other created things. In that passage, God lays everything out. He creates everything. And then he says to the man, hey, you have dominion. In the same way that a king would have dominion over a kingdom, in the same way that an ambassador is a representative to another nation, that you know, the U.S. ambassador represents who the U.S. is supposed to be. Okay, The man has dominion over all the other created things, but more than that, the language that's used in the original Hebrew is that the man is also a representative of who God is supposed to be to the creative order, okay? So the way that we care for other creative things, the created things, the way that we care for animals, the way, this is why, yes, a dog is worth less than a human person, but that doesn't mean I should go beating dogs in my free time for the fun of it. We don't beat animals, Right, We discipline animals the same way we discipline people, but we have dominion over them, but we're also called to take care of them and be a representation of who God is to the creative order. That's why it's important for us to really, you know, when we look at, by no means am I an environmentalist, but I think when we approach, when we approach the environment, when we approach things, we have to say, 
are we being good stewards of what God has entrusted us? Um, but even at the end of that, people are still worth more. And this is the second point. The Imago Dei shapes how you view yourself. Being made in the image of God, here's what that doesn't mean. Okay? What it doesn't mean is that I should look at myself and think that everything about me is an attribute of God, right? Because I'm made in the image of God, God has five fingers on each hand. No. Because, because of who I am, God has product in his hair. No. God, God wears flannel shirts. No. Right? Um, God likes sci-fi. Maybe. I don't know. Um, you know, God thinks mimes are creepy. Probably. Because that's... Mimes are creepy, right? That's just how it is. But I can't look at who I am, every element of me, and think that because I'm made in the image of God, that it's a definition of who God is. That's not what the Imago Dei means. What the Imago Dei means is we should look at who God is, and it starts to define who we are. And a lot of times, the world and even other churches try to take this concept, and they try to, to build God into this box based on looking at the image of man. That's not what it's for. What the image of God is supposed to say is, you know what I am? I'm a soul who is and will be eternal. God is eternal. I am eternal. God is in community with himself. I, as a person, desire community. That I can't live without community. You know, they do, they do social studies on people who who don't have, uh, who are like cut off from other people, and they go, they go crazy. <laughs> they go crazy. If you look at people who are in solitary confinement, they say that's one of the worst tortures when it comes to um, prison, when it comes to, if you have to be in solitary confinement for a long time, you start to lose your mind. Um, and, and they, it's funny, because Celine and I watch a lot of crime shows, specifically Law and Order SVU, don't judge us. Um, and and there, there's, there's an episode where one of the detectives, um, he, he had wrong, gotten a guy wrongly convicted, and the guy had served in solitary confinement for 15 years. And the detective was like, it can't be that bad, it can't be that bad. And so finally at the end, he's starting to, to feel guilty, so he goes into the solitary confinement, and he tells the people, um, he said, hey, leave me in here for a weekend. And the guy's like, are you sure? You sure you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, just leave me in here for a weekend. And so it cuts to him, and he's like doing push-ups, and he'll sleep, and then he's like counting things and doing push-ups and sleep, and he's going through the same routine. And then he starts to lose it, and finally the guy comes and lets him out, and he comes out of the guy, and he jumps him, and he's like shaking him. He's like, what are you doing? I told you to leave me in there for a weekend, and you not like a whole week. And the guy said, dude, it's only Sunday. Like, it's only been the weekend. And... And, and it's just, you know, I know it's a fiction, it's a show, but there are, there are soci, uh, sociology studies, social studies that are done around these things, and we need community. God is in community with himself. We need it. But I have a soul. You have a soul. I desire community. We all desire community. But growing up, I didn't always understand my value. Because God values me as a soul. 
He doesn't value me as because I'm a pastor. He doesn't value me because I'm a worship leader. He doesn't value me because I'm a musician. He just values me because I have a soul and I'm made in his likeness. And growing up, I didn't always understand that. I had great parents. I love my parents. They're still married. They've been married for a long time, 30 years, I think, 30-some years. Um, my family gets along really well. Um, we weren't, you know, we weren't rich, but we weren't poor. We, I had a great upbringing, but even through that upbringing, upbringing, I still had challenges. I struggled as a young guy with depression. I struggled with suicidal thoughts. I struggled with a lot of things. I didn't understand my value as a person. And, you know, it's great because I'm free of those lies now, and I understand that, that God's love towards me is, is because I am a soul. It's not an earned love that I'm striving for. It's a consistent love that he gave me when I woke up, and he'll give me when I go to bed, and while I'm sleeping, still exists. But the Imago Dei shapes how you view yourself. You have value. You are valuable. You were made in the image of God and you bear his likeness. Let that sink in. Because that is true despite circumstance. I don't know everybody's story in here. You may not have had both your parents grow up with you. You may have had a single mom or a single dad. Or you may have had a dad that said that you weren't worthwhile. You may have had a dad who beat you. You may have had a dad who abused you. You may have had a dad who molested you. Guess what? You have value and you're worth more than that. You may have a history with drugs. You may be an addict. You may not be able to take a drink because it's going to put you over the edge and you fear that because of your family history that you're going to continue to live in alcoholism the way that your family did. But I can tell you right now that you are made in the image of God and you have value. You may have been molested or raped and you may feel shame for things that you have nothing to feel shame about and God says that you're made in his image and you have value. We bear the image of God, and we are made in his likeness, and I have value, and you have value, and no depression or lie or suicidal thought or shame or addiction or anything can rob us of that fact. And so if you wake up in the morning and you question it, let me reassure you, you have value. And even if there are people around you who don't see it, let me tell you that there are people here that do see it. And there are people in this world who will see it. Because we know what God has put in us, that we bear the image of God. And so here's your third point. The Imago Dei, it shapes how we approach creation. It, it shapes how we look at ourselves but it shapes how we approach others. When we understand our value, and when we see the origin of that value, when we know 
that we are stamped with the image of God, that every person is stamped with the image of God, then it should absolutely change how we view every other person. They are not just their opinions. They're more than the sum of their opinions. They're more than their failures. They're more than their gifts. They are souls. Every person that we like, every person we don't like, is a soul that we interact with. There are issues in our world that we don't realize are Imago Day issues. They're issues because we don't see other people as souls. We don't see them as being the image bearers of God. As a person who struggled with lust in the past, it makes it really difficult to look at women in a bad light when I don't see them just as women, but I see them as souls. It's really difficult for people to look at pornography when they recognize that these aren't just people doing something that they love so they can make money, but these are usually people who are hurting in their souls. And it's really hard to take pleasure out of that when you realize they are souls that are suffering. You know why racism still exists? Because through our prejudices, a lot of times, we don't recognize that other people and other cultures are souls. You know why adoption is such a big issue? Because people fail to realize that those children in the womb and out of it are souls that need parenting, that need love. They are also stamped with the image of God. You know, I I know that we are in a crazy campaign political season. And I'm not going to get into all, there are all kinds of things that I could throw out there. But here's what I know. You can be a Republican and be a Christian. You can be a Democrat and a Christian. You can be an independent. You can be a Christian. You can have any stance and be a Christian. But if we discuss issues, the issues we discuss, anything, any stance that we have We should always have pause because we need to look and say, I need to pause and think about this because this is more than just a policy, but there are souls on the other side of this that it affects, right? You can land either way on immigration reform, but at the end of the day, you have to sit there and say, there are souls that are trying to get in and there are souls that we're trying to protect here, and what's the right policy to try and recognize that both groups of people are souls, Every issue we come across, political, moral, should start with the fact that we as people are stamped with the Imago Dei. I I love, and I'm going to read from this. I don't remember where we found this. I think Johnny found it. But but this this is the message, and I don't know if you guys have ever read it, but in our bulletin, in the front, this is the message when people come in here. It says, We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, filthy rich, dirt poor. Yo no habla ingles. We extend a special welcome to those who are skinny as a rail or could afford to lose a few pounds. 
We welcome you if you can sing like Andrea Bocelli or like our pastor who can't handle or can't carry a note in a bucket. We welcome you if you have your life all together or if you don't know where to turn next. You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woke up, or just got out of jail. We don't care if you're more religious than the Pope, consider yourself a strong Christian, or have never darkened the door of a church. We extend a special welcome to those who are over 60 but not grown up yet, and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome soccer moms, NASCAR dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery or still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems or if you're down in the dumps or if you don't like organized religion. We've been there too. We offer a special welcome to those who think the earth is flat, work too hard, don't work, can't spell, or because, of gra- or because grandma is in town and wanted to go to church. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, or both. We offer a, spe- a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now, had religion shoved down your throat as a kid, or got lost in traffic and wound up here by mistake. We welcome tourists, seekers, doubters, bleeding hearts, and especially you. I love that. I love that because you know what it says? We don't care who you are. We recognize that you're made in God's image and we want you here. We want to help you. We want to serve you. We want to love you. Tell us how we can do that. And let us tell you about Jesus. I'll, I'll end with, with this story. Um, so I, there's a guy that I work with. I call him B. I didn't get his permission to use him in the story, so we'll just call him B. But B, um, I, I try to get to work early every day so that I can kind of work or so I can kind of leave early. And B's always there early, too. He works 7 to 4. So I'll usually come in in the morning, and, and he and I, uh, we get to just chat about things. And, and we've gotten to know each other over the last six months and love the dude. Um, he does Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's, he's kind of big. He's our graphic designer, so he, um, he's artistic. He has great taste in music. And uh, B is Catholic, and he grew up in El Paso. He grew up in rough part of El Paso. And so he started, you know, he started talking to me, and we'll, we'll talk about faith. We'll talk about our, our different approaches to things. But he tells me all the time, he's like, he's like Ryan, dude, um, he's like, you don't understand, growing up, I got picked on, and so there came to a point to where I got bigger, and I used to just beat the crap out of people. Like I, you know, the cops knew me, kids around town knew me, but I, I mean, there are times, you know, where people went to the hospital because of me, and I had to see, I had to go to therapy, I had to see, uh, do anger management, I had to do these things because there's something wrong with me. There's something, and he's like, even to this day, it's a struggle. He's like, I know I put on like this nice guy facade, but it's me trying to calm down the fact that internally I have rage about a lot of things. And, and he is. He's like a super nice guy. Super nice guy. Um, but I'll see when he gets mad and he just wants to punch things. And I remember there was one day I came in and he's like typing all, you know when somebody's like really mad and they're like typing super hard on the keys and like clack, 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 clack. I was like, whoa, B, what's up? And he, he was saying, he's like, I'm sending an email to my daughter's school. Um, and, and he said, uh, he goes, I'm about to lose it. I'm about to drive up there, and I'm about to kill this kid. Like, I'm, I'm literally, I know where I could take his body out in the country. Like, I've got a spot picked. And, I, and the thing is, like, I know he's half joking, but he's half not joking because he's that guy, right? Like, he's the guy, 
If for some reason I ever needed to do criminal activity, he might be the guy I went to and talked to about it. Um, and, I, and I joke with him because he knows all these martial arts and stuff, and he's a big dude. I was like, I was like B, I'll teach you how to be calm about things. You teach me when I need to fight. And he's like, cool, deal. But anyway, so we're talking this morning, and he said, uh, he said, he said, yeah, this, there's this kid at my daughter's school who's always, you know, he's kind of a bully, and he's always talking about the other kids and yada, 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 and he thinks he's funny. And he's like, my daughter has a very sharp tongue. And so she was like, I'm sorry you have all these insecurities. And, and she kind of like went in, and I was like, wow, all right. But he said, he's like, this kid went into, um, went to my daughter's locker, and he slammed it and almost took her hand off with this locker, like almost crushed it in there and broke it and stuff. And she, she's mad and yada, yada, yada. And he's like, I'm worried about her safety, but I'm tired of this kid messing with her. And he's like, and this kid thinks he's a thug. He's like, we live in Frisco. There's not a whole lot of thugs in Frisco. It's not thug territory, <laughs> right? It's just not. And so he's like, this kid thinks he's a thug. And he's, you know, he's going on and on about this kid. And I let him vent for about 15 minutes or so. And so he's writing this email, and he's so mad. He's really considering just going up there and tearing this kid out of the classroom and laying him straight. And I said, all right, B. I was like, let me, um, I was like, we've got to know each other. Can I be, can I play devil's advocate? Can I be the voice of reason just for a second? Just hear me out. He's like, yes. I said, I said, B, you and I have talked about how growing up, how rough you were and, and the scenarios you had to go through and how you used to beat the snot out of people and you became kind of a bully. And, and I said, it's, I was like, look at you now. You're an incredible graphic designer. You are successful at this company. You're married. You have two kids that you love, and, and I was like, I think maybe we should pause for a second and think about this boy that you want to beat up. I was like, I'm not a parent. I get it. It's your daughter. You want to protect your daughter. I get it. I'm not a parent yet. I, I haven't gone through this scenario. I don't know the feelings. But let's pause for a second and think, maybe this boy has issues at home that we don't know about. Maybe his parents are going through a divorce. Maybe he's, I don't know what. I don't know what he's going through. But I also know that he's a soul. He's a person. And so before you go thinking about how to end his life, think about the fact that he's alive. And so B's like, you're right. Let me think about it. And so, and so it's funny. He came back, and um, so, sometimes he jokes around that I'm his priest. In some ways, which I, which I think is hilarious, but, but he, because he came back and he, he said he talked to his, it was great because he came a few days later and he's like, did I tell you what my mom said? And I was like, nah. He's like, so my mom, she said, um, I told her about what you and I talked about that morning. And it turned out this kid did have stuff going on. The school took care of it. They moved him out of the classroom and he went through other means to handle the situation. And it worked, he's like, dude, the situation worked out great. And he said, you know, I talked to my mom and I told her kind of what you had told me about this kid and about approaching it this way. And I had this priest in high school that I really trusted. And, um, and he always had this influence. And so, but I haven't talked to him in years. And I don't know what happened to him. But he said, um, but I was telling my mom about our discussion. And she's like, mijo. She's, he's, he's Mexican. Um, and so she, he's like, yeah, she was like, mijo. She's like, don't you realize that 
that God has put these people in place to help give you um, perspective in the right way. And she's like, aren't you glad that you were there to talk to your buddy so that you didn't do something drastic that you were going to regret later and, and give you? And he's like, yes, mom. <laughs> you know, kind of. But he said, so he came, he's like, so uh, I just want to let you know my mom says thanks. And to me, that was like one of my favorite things because I got to be, I got to share the gospel a little bit in my workplace with somebody that we don't always agree on things, but um, B is a soul, and that kid is a soul. And what the Imago Day does when we approach it correctly shapes us in how we view the created order, how we view ourselves, how we view other people. So, you know, I know this isn't, this isn't a self-help message. It, I, don't, I don't have three steps, three ways for you to apply this tomorrow. Um, this is a conceptual message. It's a concept. But it's something for you and me to take to heart and something that we need to remember. You have value. Every person you talk to has value. And every doubt that we have, we should at least pause consider that all right let's pray God I thank you this morning what a glorious promise it is to know that we have value no matter what we've done no matter how talented or not talented we are how disciplined or not disciplined we are how clean or dirty or rich or poor. God, it doesn't matter. We are made in your image and we bear it. I have a soul that is going to live eternally, God. But God, I pray for each of us here that we be reminded constantly that we have value and it's not defined by us, but it's already defined by you. You've already given us dominion. You've already stamped us with your image. You've already made us in your likeness. And God, you love us and value us just because of that. Just because of that, we have value. We had so much value that you sent your son to live and teach us and die on a cross and be raised again so that veil could be torn and that we could boldly approach the throne knowing, God, knowing that we can come confidently because you say we have value. But God, I pray in all our approaches that we would see the value in others, in the unborn baby, in the person that has Down syndrome, in the Muslim, in the Catholic, in our neighbor. God, that every person bears your image and we need to love them even if they don't see it stamped on us god we need to see it stamped on them and so father i pray that you would wreck us that we would see it everywhere that before we would speak ill of anyone we would remember that they are a soul god holy spirit convict us and work in us and we love you you can pray these things in your name and the church said, amen.